Merry Christmas, Seth. Thank you, Jonathan. Merry Christmas to you. I am so glad that we get to spend this time anticipating Christmas. We're really embodying Advent because, of course, we're not releasing this live on Christmas morning. Um, Hopefully we're spending it with our families and our dogs. But we get to anticipate Christmas, Christ's arrival, by recording this episode, which is exciting. So I'm excited to be with you as we embody the spirit of Advent. And I'm even more excited to ask you a certain question. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to sleep alone on a hill in the dead of night or in a barn surrounded by livestock just doing their thing? I guess I would have to pick in a barn surrounded by livestock. What? <laughs> yeah, because I think I, just like a hill would be cold and like even in, even in the summer, like the ground gets gets cool. But in the barn, you'd have, like, some shelter from the wind and the storm. And, I like, don't animals kind of sleep at night? They're not they just, might. like... They're not just, like, mooing. You could just have, night. then, a sheep a sheep bleeding in your face in the middle. Bleating. <laughs> not bleeding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you never, like, know what can, you never know what can happen with when you're in the barn, you know? You could, yeah. You could use the sheep as, like, a big pillow. That's true. That'd be cozy. I just think the hill would be so... Like, the ground could be soft. You could see the stars. I think for one night, I'd rather do that than, you know, be surrounded by animals all doing their thing. Just, like, (laughs) chomping and pooping. Bleating. (laughs) Yeah, the poop would probably be the worst part. I'm still going with the barn, though. Well, we may disagree on where we're going to be sleeping in the middle of the night. But I think it's time for us to read the Christmas story. Not the movie where you'll shoot your eye out, but the one from Luke chapter 2. I can't think of a better way to do Christmas. So here we go. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Nearby shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angel stood before them, the Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, Don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel, praising God. They said glory to God in heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go right now to Bethlehem. And see what's happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. They went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw this, they reported what they had been told about this child. Everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds told them. Mary committed these things to memory and considered them carefully. The shepherds returned home, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen Everything happened just as they had been told.
the first thing that strikes me is always just how this little snippet is so different than the Christmas pageants you put on <laughs> when you're when you're a kid. It's like, yeah, it's a, yeah. I was just gonna ask you what what came still at you from the reading, and that's something too that I think is important. You know, we've especially for those of us who have been around Christianity, been around the church for a long time, we've encountered some form of Christ's birth story so many times. It's hard to not pull in our own experiences, our own memories, our own ideas of what the text is actually saying. But yeah, those pageants can get uh, a little wild. (laughs) I worked at a church once where the church staff always did a... We did a pageant for the preschool at our church. And so they had picked students from the preschool to be Mary and Joseph. But we played like all the other characters in a like a melodrama. So we had like like there was a narrator who would like tell us what to do and we had to do it. So okay. <laughs> do you have any Christmas pageant memories? You know, I don't have that many memories. I think like I was always just like one of the shepherds. <laughs> I wasn't vocal or like a big enough stage presence to be Mary or Joseph or we had mo- like we had mostly guys in our I don't know why this is true mostly guys in our like our Sunday school class that would put on the pageant so we would play like every we would play like every part but we had like really good costumes I remember that like you know, like you would dress up and like you would really look like whatever whatever role you were supposed to play Oh yeah, because we we you know we had that period accurate like those like large cloaks and yeah. <laughs> rope yeah. belts and exactly all that stuff that was clearly very very accurate to the times I would say. Oh, absolutely. One thing that struck me, which I don't know if I've ever noticed this, I'm like I'm almost thirty years old. Here we go. But I don't know if I ever realized that the shepherds are told by the angel what's going to happen. And then they're like, well, I got to confirm this. Let's just go and see to make sure that that's true. They're like, let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. That's really fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of of revealing and knowing in this story, right? Yeah. And I think... Because we've heard this story so many times, let's just walk through what we just read to make sure we're tracking with what this passage is actually saying. So, shepherds in the fields with their sheep doing their shepherd things. Hopefully their sheep aren't bleeding, but maybe they're bleating in the night. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord appears. And like any time an angel of the Lord appears... Just a statement of, do not be afraid. The angel proclaims the coming of Christ and what that means. And all of a sudden, surrounded by, I've always been told it's an angelic choir, but the scripture does read that they say glory to God in the highest. <laughs> You're right. And so it's like yeah. a, I don't know if it's like a responsive reading in a large cathedral or a congregation or something, just the whole host of heaven saying glory to god in the highest or as we would sing in the song angels we have heard on high glow oh, 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 oh. 
oh, 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 Rhea. Which is a pretty, feels like a pretty big stretch when you compare it. (laughs) (laughs) But you're spot on. The shepherds are like, everything's gone. I can picture like this scene that's full of light and all that light is gone. And they're back kind of in the darkness, in the wilderness. And they're like, we got to go see this for ourselves. So I'm just wondering, A, do they take their sheep with them? Are their sheep cool on their own? <laughs> that feels like bad shepherding. Was there one shepherd named Jeff who just like drew the short straw and had to stay behind? <laughs> you know, there's some, there's some questions there. But they do. They go, as you said, they go confirm everything. Everyone who hears what they said, they're amazed. Mary commits what they say to memory, confirming once again that she did in fact know. And then the shepherds return to the same spot, the same situation, but it feels like everything has changed for them. Even though they're going back to take care of the same sheep, who are, again, presumably and hopefully still there, still safe, (laughs) this experience has changed them. So this Christmas, Seth, as we think about this story... What about what we read resonates with you the most about the Christmas story? I like this idea of everything is both the same and yet totally new. I think, I'll only speak for myself, but sometimes Christmas comes and I I get excited and I love Christmas Day and and I go to church and I think, wow, that was a that was a you know, a good sermon, this wonderful being with this community. And then I go home, and like two weeks later, it feels like everything's pretty much the same again. But this, but I think this story, and just like the paradigm you were talking about, pushes back against that. It, can, it says that even when everything can feel the same, like you're sort of in the same position, you're back at home, things aren't actually the same. But somehow God's glory, you know, keeps keeps shining, you know, past just Jesus' birth, but then it, it carries us forward somehow. Sorry, that was kind of a long. No, that's great. That was a long soliloquy there. <laughs> no, that's great. I think I'm still kind of stuck on what you mentioned earlier about how the shepherds left with the shock of the angels they needed to go and verify things for themselves i mean talk about a talk about a witness to the acceptance and the celebration of doubt in a space of faith right they heard this news directly from an angel of god from god's messenger (laughs) to them and they're like hold the phone I need to go and check this out for myself. But I'm I'm kind of stuck on that too, just thinking about how hearing about it is one thing, experiencing it is something else. But as much as I think we could do whole episodes on either of those themes that we just brought up, we are in this series where we are examining Advent and Christmas through the lens 
of Christian nationalism and our understanding that Advent and Christmas speak just one way that faith in Jesus Christ counters the narrative of Christian nationalism, counters the narrative of utilizing and legislating faith to dominate, to oppress. And the thing that comes to mind, Seth, the question I want to ask you, are there any birth stories that you can think of, maybe outside of the Bible, but any stories in your family, any in popular culture that are significant in some way that tell, you know, some sort of legendary birth about how, you know, your uncle was born in the back seat of a car on the way to the hospital and, you know, or something along those lines, how some, you know, some sort of story that is connected to someone's birth that tells us something about them. Can you think of anything like that? Ooh, okay, putting me on the spot. This is like this is like Jeopardy. There's got there's definitely some. I've been struggling to think. I'm this just not too. coming up with any of them. Okay, we're struggling. We've surely edited out a lot of the dead time where we've been trying to think of something. I've got one that we can think of. What about the Grinch from Jim Carrey's The Grinch, the Christmas movie? Okay. okay. Do you remember this? I, I just watched this recently. Oh. I just watched this recently, so it's fresh. But there's this story of Vaguely, you know, but... Cindy Lou who is asking around about, what do you know about the Grinch? And they tell these stories about how when the babies are delivered uh, to Whoville, you know, the, Gr- the Grinch's little carriage gets stuck outside of a party where all the adults aren't paying attention a Christmas party and shockingly as I learned by this viewing it's a party where all the adults as they're entering all the Whovillians are putting their keys in the in a bowl indicating that it's a swingers party (laughs) which is just a wild detail that I definitely (laughs) did not notice when I was younger oh (laughs) Um, but there's this whole story right of the Grinch being raised by these Whovillians who are like trying to understand him they understand that he's different but they love him and they care about him. Uh, he just never really gets on board with their love of Christmas. And that escalates to the point where you know he, he thinks that he gets it and it goes horribly wrong and he gets made fun of. And that's why he kind of is the way that he is about Christmas, about Whoville. It's because of how he was harmed when he was a child. So... It's maybe adjacent to his birth, but that's one that comes to mind for me. And even though we're struggling to think of others from our families or in real life, I'm sure as soon as we finish recording this episode, we'll be like, oh yeah. (laughs) I think there are some stories that we hear about that are like, even when they were a kid, they were just like this. Or from a young age, you know, Tiger Woods was making, you know, 15-foot putts when he was three years old. And all these different things about how our origin stories, so to speak, also give us some insight to who we may become. Or 
we look back on our stories and interpret them based on who or what we become. Yeah. So before I get into a little bit more about that, does, have any others come to mind or is there anything that stands out to you about the Grinch's wild origin story? <laughs> I mean, we were thinking specifically about ones that are not in the Bible, but I feel like that's like, mm-hmm. that's what's coming up for me. So many of these ones that I, I wonder in what way the, the Bible's portrayal of that phenomenon, like, oh, the, the circumstances that accompanied their birth, like shape who they are, translates more broadly into the way that we think about like births. You know, that aren't yeah. that aren't in the Bible. Now, like whenever I learn about someone for the next like month, I'm gonna try and I'm gonna ask this question. Like, oh I wonder what it was like when they were born. <laughs> but but right now I'm not coming up with any more. So as we think about birth narratives and how we construct them, how we think about them, it's important to know that that trend isn't new. People have been telling origin stories, birth stories for a long time, as we see throughout scripture and as we saw in the Roman world. And it's an important reminder here as we talk about this, that the Gospels, it's a subverted format. It's a plagiarized and adapted format, so to speak, that undermines the use of this intentionally constructed biography that is designed to pull together pieces and stories that tell about a person's character in some way, rather than how we might think about a biography is going to like look at all the art official records and you know get eyewitness testimony about what happened in certain situations. It's a little different. And so we have this really strong contrast between the birth narratives of the emperors of Caesar and this birth narrative here. I mean, think about it. Who do you think the emperor's birth would have been proclaimed to? Just a best guess. Or maybe you know this, too. Like, I, I don't have a specific answer, but what do you think? Do you think in a birth story that they would have a certain person or type of person that they would proclaim the birth of the emperor to? I mean, I'm just thinking of someone who's, like, really important. Like, somebody who, when they went out and they said, oh, the emperor, you know, the emperor's been born or will be born. It's somebody that everybody's going to know, everybody's going to believe. Not shepherds in a field with bleating sheep. Right. Yeah, you could think about maybe even that the birth would be proclaimed to... Uh, the current ruler to make them nervous, uh, um, yeah. you know, Caligula sh- shaking <laughs> in his little boots, uh, you know, all these different things. But in this story, in Christ's birth story, the first recipients of the greatest news ever told were the poor, the smelly, and those with no way out of their situation. They were shepherds. They're on the job all the time. They're sleeping with the sheep to keep them safe. There was no time for job interviews. There was no time for them to develop a plan to find another position. There were no Mm. transferable skills. They were stuck in their situation. Hmm. 
And that's what Jesus' birth talks about, is liberation for those who are stuck in a low station. It could have been a little bit more like the grand birth narratives that we see in scripture, the narratives of the emperors or others today, even like the Grinch, that give us <laughs> like strong insight into who they are. And instead we get this story that does still tell us about who Jesus is. This is our God, our Caesar, our ruler, our Messiah, in this format that undermines the same kind of format that the Romans used to celebrate those that they viewed as gods by talking about how much power they had over others. And instead, he's born in a manger, and the first attendants to his birth are those who smell like sheep crap because they've been <laughs> sleeping in the wilderness with their sheep for days. And so what does it mean, especially in light of what we understand about Christian nationalism, what does it mean that Christ arrives like this and God's messengers proclaim and announce his birth to the shepherds first? What do you think? I think it tells us whose side God is on. I think there's a hesitancy in some circles to have God take a side, but to, to say things like, oh... You know, all lives matter to God. But I think like we see clearly in this story that God does take a side with people who are who are in like low positions whose lives are are difficult, who who smell bad and it's not necessarily their own choice that they do. It's also like an inversion of who we often listen to. Mm. Like, you know, we often listen to those, to the people with like big followings uh, who are loud and brash and taking up the news. But this is the opposite. These are people who have probably never been in the ancient newspaper. Like, they've never made the front page. And yet they come with this really important message that's that's world and life changing. And I think that tells us something about Christian nationalism too. Like it matters who we listen to. Yeah, your response reminds me of one of my favorite theologians, Howard Thurman. In Jesus in the Disinherited, he describes Jesus, and I'll summarize. Uh, to make it a little bit more gender inclusive, but he describes Jesus as the one who came for those who have their backs against the wall. Jesus' arrival, first transforming the lives of these shepherds, even though, again, they return to the same place with hopefully the same sheep and the same responsibilities, but everything's changed for them. And I think you're spot on. The story of the work of the faith of Jesus tells us that it matters who we pay attention to. It matters that we pay attention to the poor, the vulnerable, the smelly, (laughs) and those with no way out of their situation. It matters that we speak truth to those who hold power. 
no matter if we align with their ideology, it matters that we see in Christ someone who doesn't come in and jump into the middle of the existing power structures that oppress and hurt others, but instead pays attention and is present with those who are oppressed and are hurting. And it feels like kind of a simple argument this Christmas day, but I think in Jesus's birth, we get a glimpse of our God, our Caesar, our ruler, our Messiah, who comes and whose birth is announced in a way that stands pretty counter to the God of Christian nationalism. So grateful for our God who is humble, who is welcoming and inclusive, and who is love before they are power. Let's pray about that. Yeah, I think it's time. So our prayer today is actually a poem from the poet Malcolm Geet. And Seth, I'll share this link with you so you can share it in the episode description. This poem is called Refugee. And this came across my attention because the King of England actually requested that this poem be read at a recent Christmas service that was also held to memorialize Queen Elizabeth II. So the irony of that may not be lost on you as you hear these words, but I still think this is a powerful prayer for us to recognize and mark the vulnerability of our God that's expressed in the Christmas story. Let's pray. We think of him as safe beneath the steeple, or cozy in a crib beside the font. But he is with a million displaced people on the long road of weariness and want. For even as we sing our final carol, his family is up and on that road, fleeing the wrath of someone else's quarrel, glancing behind and shouldering their load. Whilst Herod rages still from his dark tower, Christ clings to Mary, fingers tightly curled. The lambs are slaughtered by the men of power, and death squads spread their curse across the world. But every Herod dies and comes alone to stand before the Lamb upon the throne. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Our next episode will release on Epiphany, so stay tuned for that. The text is Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. The Magi come to visit Jesus. But until then, thanks so much for walking us through that story, Jonathan. Thanks for helping me tell it. Merry Christmas, everyone. Have I ever told you about my uncle's rating scale of pooping in the wilderness? No. My uncle's a geologist and spends a lot of time, both for work and for personal enjoyment, out in the wild. He kayaks, he backpacks, and he's come up with a scale to rate pooping in the wilderness. 
And it's about it's about the experience, not the poop itself. Um, so a one on the scale, which is still pretty good, is just pooping in the wilderness. You know, it, it happens. It's a yeah. good experience. It happens. Two is pooping in the wilderness with a view. So if you're in a very scenic location. Three is pooping in the wilderness with a view and you see an animal of some kind. The number four is pooping in the wilderness with a view. You see an animal and you make eye contact with that animal. And then five, the premier experience of pooping in the wilderness. Pooping in the wilderness with a view. You see an animal. And make, it's pooping. Make, yeah, you make eye contact, <laughs> contact with an animal and it's also pooping. The ultimate connected experience in the wild. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Seth. 